This is an ABC podcast. This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. And a very good afternoon to you. And some news just coming in today. The federal government has rejected an offer to settle the long-running live export class action. We'll get the details on that after news headlines at half past 12 and, of course, across to the Bureau of Meteorology to look at the weather right around Western Australia. Also, a couple of markets to get through today. We'll go through the two-day Mount Barker cattle market and then Danny Burkett along just before the news at 1.00. And he'll be going through the results of this week's wool market. Six past 12 here on the Country Hour and starting in the wheat belt this afternoon because large areas of WA's wheat belt are into their fourth day without power and mobile phone signal after storms earlier in the week flattened power lines. Several of the really big towers in the main transmission line between Meriden and Kalgoorlie lie just crumbled on the ground. Power has been restored to about 10,000 homes and businesses in Kalgoorlie, but the lights and the air conditioners are still off for towns and properties right across the wheat belt. ABC reporter Grace Burmis is at Darren, 150 kilometres northeast of Perth, and it's a town without an emergency generator. Grace, what impact is this power outage having on the community? Yeah, hi Belinda. Mostly it's having a major financial impact for a lot of the local businesses. I was just speaking to a bakery owner who's had to completely shut her doors. She said it's costing her thousands of dollars, not just in stock, but just in business as general. Also, it's quite an elderly uh, population in Darren, and she said that she's worried about the lack of socialisation that's happening. She said her cafe and her bakery is it's really a place for people to come together each week. I was also at the community club earlier this morning and they've thrown out about $3,000 worth of food. So it's having a major financial impact. So when did it all start, Grace? When did the power go out in Darren? Power went out Tuesday afternoon and a lot of people, because initially Western Power told them that it might only be for a couple hours and then it was a day and it's sort of, you know, the expectation has extended since then. A lot of people didn't bother to get a generator from Perth or from surrounding communities. And now, of course, it's lasted days. And what's really caused the problem? So a strong summer storm swept through the region. As you were saying before, it caused major damage to transmission lines. So they're really now just waiting for power to be turned back on and they still don't know when exactly that will happen. And so how are people coping? Because it has been hot and, you know, as I was mentioning, you know, no power, no air conditioning. So it's pretty uncomfortable, I imagine. It's been very hot. Today is a cool day in in the scheme of things, but it's still uh, low to mid 30s. But I was speaking to a shop owner before and he was saying it's been up around the 40 degree mark and it will return later, later this week. Um, so, yeah, it has been hot and they've also they've closed the local pool, which is a major source of a cooling down system for a lot of people, but they can't, they can't pump the pool, so they've had to close it. Um, so from what I've heard, a lot of people, they're cooling down by the backyard hose 
um, or they're going to a friend's place with a generator. Yeah, okay. And what about the time frame, Grace, in terms of getting things back to, well, normal? It's still really blurry. They've sort of had the double whammy as well because for a couple of days they also had Telstra services down. So there was no communication. It was all word of mouth. And they still, they don't really have an estimate from Western Power when everything will be back up. They now have uh, phone services back. They got that back yesterday. But in terms of electricity, that's still a big question mark. Grace, thank you so much for the update. Appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, Grace Vermis, who's an ABC reporter, and she's out at Darren today just getting the uh, look at the community, how people are coping in that part of Western Australia. Nine past 12. Well, Dr Michael Livingston is a GP based at Narrambeen, 280 kilometres east of Perth. He has a number of clinics throughout the wheat belt. Many are still without power. Out of the eight locations we cover, Lake Grace, Newtigate and Narrambeen all are still without power currently. So what what we did was, well, well, first of all, we thought we'd come back on because it's been going off and on since the weekend. So we just naturally, we got in the door, the thunderstorm started and we thought, well, it'll come on soon. And it just didn't come on. And the next morning we realised this was not going to improve and the power situation was unknown. So we decided to just sort of see what we could do. Um, our software is cloud-based, thankfully, and I did have my mobile phone. So, and I did have battery on my laptop. So I thought, well, well, we'll go for as long as we can until basically the batteries die. That's that's all we could do, right? So I went into the clinic and I started to see my first couple of patients in the dark. Only one room has a window in it, bizarrely. I quickly realized this might not be working very well as as both the patient and I had basically sweat dripping off our faces <laughs> during the consultation. And I thought, oh, jeepers. But anyway, we soldiered on, soldiered on. And I got through the first couple of patients. And then um, all of a sudden, my connection to the software just went. And I thought, oh, geez, it's my phone. It's Something's happened. And it turned out Telstra had gone. Yep. So I had no Telstra. I had no battery was like 47%. I couldn't do anything. I was like, literally, that was it. I mean, yeah. Do you know, you just felt like everything's against you. You're like, I thought, so I just was like, well, what do I do now? And then I thought, well, how's the hospital going to get in hold of me? Is there even anything happening there? So for several hours, um, so luckily I popped my head in and it actually was an emergency, but they could not get hold of me. And I was just like, this is very precarious. Put, put in the most, you know, isolated communities at the greatest risk. And... Uh, yeah, and then I went, I got home, I've got a, you know, 11-month-old and a 9-year-old, and I sat there sweating, and, and I was just like going, what do we do? Like, how long is this going to go on for? And then and then somebody said to us, well, it could be a week before power's restored. And I was like, well, we don't have phone service, we don't have power, we can't food, we can't wash, we can't do anything. Like, we have a foot crowd, we couldn't even get fuel from the fuel station because um, they didn't have any internet or power, so they could process any payments. So it just became to a point where we had to think about my family's welfare as well. Um, and we had to yeah, basically jump in the car yesterday, late afternoon, and, and drive to Perth and, and book a couple of nights here um, at a hotel. Um, because, yeah, we couldn't we could just have any, I guess, daily amenities or, 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 or normality uh, for us as a family or provide in any way a service. So obviously and you don't have generators in your clinics. I imagine no. the local hospital had a generator. Were patients correct. that would yes. normally have gone to you, were they then able to go to the hospital? They could, yes, correct, yes. So so patients that, 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 that need to be seen could go there. But I think even they were having a slight moment because their generator was running low 
I don't know if it was diesel or petrol. Mm. Um, and they were trying to work out to pay to buy more because obviously the local fuel space a place can process payments. So, but I think they they have and have maintained the, that generator. Um, but yeah, so patients could go there. Now, what about um, uh, sort of medical supplies? I mean, I, I imagine you oh, would yeah. hold vaccines, for instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At so, your clinic. so what happened with all of that? Bin them because um, yeah, yeah, they're, they're good for the bin now because obviously we have what's called cold chain security and cold chain breaches, which are very strict. And as soon as the the, the fridge goes out of range, so to speak, uh, for a, a long enough period of time, that they're, they're cooked. And that's thousands of dollars. I mean, I think wife who also runs the business, they want about $6,000 down the drain. Um, and that's just, you know, suck it up sort of approach. We're just left to deal with in situations like this. I'm not saying it's acceptable, but is this one of the challenges, I guess, of living mm-hmm. in regional Western Australia? Correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's something that you, I don't know why you wouldn't think about it, but I guess these things, you know, when they happen to you, make you reflect. But yes, I think it is another a price to pay in inverted commas. If you want to live um, in these communities, um, now you've got to think about, oh, geez, what do I do if the power goes out? And I've got to have to chuck all my food out as well. Um, and also being in these locations, you stockpile, don't you? you? You get a second freezer and, you know, so there's and you know, the cost of food these days. Um, there's quite a, a lot of money also being chucked out of the house and lost foods. And, yeah. you know, Western Power, what's that, 120 bucks? What's, that's, how's that really? Plus, loss of income. I've still got to pay all the staff as well. How much do you reckon oh, it's cost you? Have you worked it out? I don't want to because I'm just scared by the, by, by the viability and, 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 and sustainability of, of, you know, covering the cost across not just this site, but, you know, I've got other, you know, uh, Lake Grace and Newtigate as well. Vaccines, personal income, other doctors' income, you know, 20,000, maybe yeah. more. That we just have to take on it. Yeah, it's just like suck up, you and know. you'll have to just and, and, absorb that. I yeah, mean, I don't, but it... how can you? You can't just keep taking that on. Like, yeah. And this is why people... At these locations, sometimes just through frustration, just give up because they're like, like, this is an unfair. And you feel left alone. You see all these messages about, we need emergency services and we need to support them and tweets from the government. All that. And you're thinking, well, what, what am I then? And what service am I providing to this community? And where's the support for that? Mm. that isn't, it's just deaf ears. Is it yeah. time to buy a generator? Well, pro- yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's time to get or some, sort of, some sort of other supply some method. Backup. I mean, maybe so- solar and you know, bash it, something, something, something. But, but that again, that's another expenditure that's, that's sort of on us, isn't it? Yeah. And we're really taking a financial punch, and then we have to do that. And I'm just thinking, but then am I going to do that across the clinics? Is that financially viable? Where does that money come from? Like, because it's not going to come out of thin air, is it? So, you know, and, and is, is, is that, yeah, is that, is that, you know, a, a hit small rural clinics, all the small rural clinics can take? Um, and this and this sort of austere environment we we're in with you know the whole Medicare thing. Yeah. So yeah. I just think it's I think it's just there should have been better support given given that also if you look at the bulk of patients seen we see the most but yet we get the least funding in these environments. Sixteen past twelve. That's Dr. Michael Livingston. He's a GP based at Narrambeen, and he was speaking to Nadia Mitsopoulos. A couple of interesting points that the doctor made. You know, just this is just another price you pay for living in rural. And regional WA, and you know the costs of all of this. And he was saying, you know, you can't keep taking on these sort of costs. And in some cases, that's why people just give up living in these areas. It's just too much. And he's even taking a look at the viability uh, of going forward himself. What do you make of that? Let me know on the text zero double four eight nine double two six zero four. 
let me know your story too. It'd be great to hear from you this afternoon. Zero double four eight nine double two six zero four to text through and let me know. John says this extended power outage proves the point that we must not become a cashless society. 17 past 12. Cherie Thomas runs a cafe at Narrambeen. She says the biggest impact of these power outages will be the massive amount of food that she will lose. We haven't even been in there yet. I think the girls are in there going in there this morning, but thousands of dollars worth of frozen food just spoiled. So, which is, yeah, which is really sad. And obviously times like this, you want to be open for the community and try and, you know, give them a coffee and some food because they might not be able to prepare it for themselves at home and we can't. So um, the Progress Association, which helps us run our cafe, they are in the process of buying a generator, but mm-hmm. we, you know, we ask ourselves, where is the greatest need for that in our community? It's the roadhouse, the medical centre, um, other agricultural businesses that obviously need to continue to run. So, how do you prioritise? Um, how do you do that? that exactly. How do you? It, and and from our point of view, it's, it wouldn't be the cafe. It would more than likely be the medical centre or the roadhouse. But thankfully, the roadhouse have been given a generator and they are able to give fuel because obviously. Running generators, you need fuel also. So, yes, that's yeah, right. It's a catch-22 situation. Has um, everyone been so, keeping an eye on each other, Cherie? I imagine you'd have elderly people in your community, people a little uh, vulnerable maybe? Nadia, I was just about to say that. I'm about to go into town to check on some elderly people that I know because, yeah, I mean, we're okay. We're on the farm. We have a generator. Life doesn't, you know, it doesn't change for us really. But for the people in towns, in the town who don't actually have generators, it's a big thing. And, um, yeah, I think that we need to be out there and just not door knocking perhaps maybe and just checking on making it sure everyone's okay. Any indication um, when your power will come back? Nothing. I, <laughs> nothing at all, no. So we don't know. I've heard that it could be a week. I've heard that it could be... Saturday, so we don't know. But our issue on the farm also, Nadia, is we have no Telstra signal, nothing. We've been, Telstra has been down since Wednesday morning around about 10 o'clock. That is is a big issue. So we have like no communication. We also have, we have no power. And I've heard that water supply is also being restricted in Narrambeen. So I don't know how true that is, but there's obviously going to be. My understanding is people have been told don't flush your toilets, things like that. Correct. Yeah. So that's, and, li- that's and limit be... your water usage. So only yeah. when necessary. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's tough. So, I mean, we've had, we have had probably, uh, I can't, I've lost count, but probably five or six outages over the last week. And obviously this is the longest one and you never expect it to be off for this long. Sheree Thomas from Narrabeen with Nadia Mitsopoulos, 19 past 12. Helen on the text says, The Chief of Optus was shown the door when people lost their phone service and hence banking, retail, commerce, etc. for a day. There was uproar and hell to pay. Wheatbelt people faced seven days without power and hence phone, retail, commerce, but more importantly, water, heating and cooling resources, doctor's services, and no one in the city seems perturbed and the chief of Synergy or Western Power don't seem to be in the firing line. And yes, I know it was an act of nature, but still the weather is hot and people need water. It was even suggested this morning that if you didn't have access to dialing triple zero, that you drive to the nearest police station if it's manned or a nursing post. Not sure how that would go if you had a heart attack or serious accident. Thank you, Helen. The text is zero double four eight nine double two six zero four. You're part of the Country Hour with Belinda Varasquetti on ABC Local Radio WA. 
20 past 12, Chris Antonio is the president of the Shire of Northam, 95 kilometres northeast of Perth. He hopes the current power outage is a wake-up call to the state government to invest in Wheatbelt towns. You've got to invest in the infrastructure that we need uh, appropriately. We've had uh, other storms in years gone past. Uh, we need to make sure that we're resilient because we know we're going to get more storms and more severe weather events. So we, or the state government, needs to invest appropriately in the infrastructure that we need to try and stop these sort of um, blackout events. Your power issues started on Tuesday afternoon, Chris, in the first of those big storms that rolled through. How's, how has it affected you? Uh, yeah, we're still without power. We're on one of the spur lines um, at Southern Brook outside of Northam, and being one of the spur lines, we're, we're the last to be put back on. Our line has a terrible history of going out at random times anyway, so I think more um, uh, research needs to be taken into appropriate infrastructure for our area and other areas like us. Um, but, yeah, we're getting affected uh, personally. So, for example, I've, I've had to jump in the car to... Um, to come into Northern to get reception to talk to you. So we're without uh, power, without phone reception, like a lot of other people. So how widespread has the damage been through the wheat belt, Chris? So looking at it, there's been lots of storms. So in the Shire of Northern, uh, looking locally, there's like mini tornadoes, tornadoes. There's lots of uh, damage to trees and roads, Shire roads. Uh, looking around, yeah, so it seems to be sporadic. There was hail in different places. So it's, it's one of those um, those storms. I, I call it a 20-year storm, but it can happen any time. Concerns around access to food and fuel with supermarkets and petrol stations having issues around power and communications. Chris, how's that looking? Yeah, so the neighbouring towns um, at one stage, York and 2J particularly, and, and one Dowie, they were without power, without fuel or anything. So Northam itself, the town side itself, still had power. So that seemed to cater well uh, for all the outlying areas. Uh, they did very well. All the local businesses stepped up. I, I saw they were putting social media posts saying they were opening longer hours than normal to cater for all the um, all the people in that whole region that were affected. So unlike Kalgoorlie, where you had to wait for five hours for fuel, Northern seems to have been able to cater for the surrounding shire and the surrounding shires. Has Western Power been keeping you updated personally? Yep, yeah, Western Power um, are keeping us updated. So the local crews, I've got to put my... Uh, tip my hat to them they're doing a great job the local guys the uh, frustrating part is we don't have an estimated time of restoration of power we keep yeah. getting text saying we don't know when it's going to be but just finally chris does it concern you there's still isolated pockets where people can't call triple zero if they need to especially in those isolated yeah, that, places that needs to be looked at we so communication every time there's a natural disaster of any sort communication always comes up so that is definitely something that needs looking at with um appropriate infrastructure and appropriate backup infrastructure because to call triple zero is an essential part of um, living in WA. President of the Shire of Northern, Chris Antonio with Peter Barr. 24 past 12 here on the Country Hour. The state government says relief payments will be available for residents affected by power outages in the Perth Hills, the Goldfields and the Wheatbelt regions. Around 3,500 people are still impacted in the Perth Hills, 700 in the Goldfields and 2,000 in the Wheatbelt with no power. Residents who've experienced more than 12 hours of consecutive outages can apply for an extended outages payment of $240.
Premier Roger Cook says this week's storm has renewed focus on the resilience of WA's power grid. But I think we need to continue to look at the resilience of our network, particularly as we see these severe weather events becoming more frequent. What we were able to do as a result of this outage is look at a range of backup options which enabled the uh, Western Power to stand up much of the grid uh, by this morning, which is obviously incredibly welcome and I want to thank them for their hard work um, throughout the night to, to bring this up. But resilience is going to be an important part of our grid overall. You saw there, uh, we announced a three quarters of a billion dollar upgrade to parts of the grid last year and you're going to see that sort of investment continuing into the future. The, the, the extended outages payments are more about assisting families to restock their fridges for perishables and other items. Businesses, of course, you know, are impacted in a different way, but the, the extended outages payments are really just about making sure people can restock. Western Power obviously makes sure that they look after not only their, their home uh, customers, but their business customers as well, and we will continue to work with those, those communities to make sure that we can continue to, make, to provide a great piece of infrastructure to them. WA Premier Roger Cook just announcing that those residents who've experienced more than 12 hours of consecutive outages can apply for an extended outages payment of $240. 26 past 12 on the text. Peter in Albany says the Premier should move his office and residence to somewhere in the regions. Imagine how quickly we'd see fairness and equal treatment. No wonder the McGowan-Cook government took away regional representation in the Parliament's upper house. Uh, this from Andrew, regarding the issue of loss of phone coverage following power outages in 2024, no excuse for exchanges, mobile towers, not to have permanent generator backup. This is an ongoing issue every time there's a major fire or weather event. Thank you, Andrew. That text is 0448 922 Well, the storms that caused the power outages have also been responsible for widespread property damage. Josh Fushbishler farms at Belka, 255 kilometres east of Perth. He was at a neighbour's place helping fight a fire sparked by lightning when the storm struck. He says the journey home to discover the damage to his shearing shed was interesting, to say the least. So it was couple of trees on the road so um as i was heading home i actually had to jump off the road and go onto the road verge and then get over onto the railway reserve um which is one of the tier three railway lines that is closed to get home because there was just so many trees over the road so actually the only way i could get home was along the railway line when i got home i came around the sheds and sort of the uh, shearing shed half collapsed in. I, I did see a piece of tin down the driveway as I was coming home. I thought that was a bit odd and yeah, came around the back of the sheds from the house and yeah, saw the shearing shed and the crumpled peak. But the shearing shed's what's suffered the most damage. The old stubble rake that we've got in the yard, that did a complete 180 degrees. So that's lying on its upside down in the middle of the yard at the minute. And a few other little bits and pieces got damaged as well. But, yeah, the shearing shed certainly looks like it's popped the, the full front of it. I've seen the photos, so it's sort of completely um, collapsed in. What sort of a state was it in prior to this? It was a quite good shed, actually. It was, it was on, we still have sheep, so 
it gets used once or twice a year with shearing. So it was it was still used and a couple of years ago. I actually just had the whole shed rewired as well. So it's all been updated with the electrics all been updated as well. So it was in it was in very, very good condition actually. What sort of an impact is this going to cause for you, this level of damage? Is anything salvageable? I don't know at this stage. The assessor hasn't been out yet, so I've been in touch with the insurance company this morning and given the list of things that, that were damaged. So I'll just have to wait and see what the assessor says basically when they turn up. Have you been talking to neighbours and others about the place, um, about what they've experienced? Yeah, I did hear from another neighbour that's 5k south of where our farm is. Apparently he heard that they'd had a couple of sheets or a few bits of sheets of tin fly off one of their, a couple of their older sheds as well. But that's all I've heard. And I think there's somebody else that's a bit, bit further east of where our house is that's had a bit of damage as well. Have you been impacted at all by the uh, power outages and, and the lack of uh, phone communications? Yes, I have been affected by the power outage. I, I know why our power is actually out. There's a power pole in my neighbour's paddock actually that's um, five k's, four or five k's down the road that's completely snapped off in his paddock. So i worked out that's the reason why I've got no power. So the generator's getting a good workout keeping the fridges cold. I bet it is. Josh Fushbistler, he's from Belka, and he was catching up with Natasha Haradine. Half past 12 here on The Country Hour. Tony Carr in the studio. What's the latest in the headlines, Tony? Good afternoon, Belinda. The WA government says we'll investigate the resilience of the state's energy grid in response to fallout from prolonged outages across the state this week. 8,800 homes and businesses are still experiencing power outages across WA following severe storms. Western Power says 3,500 of those customers are in the Perth Hills 700 in the goldfields and 2,000 in the wheat belt. Premier Roger Cook says the state government will be exploring a resilience package as a result of the freak storm events. A Perth man has been committed to stand trial in the district court on a charge of causing serious burns to his estranged partner. 43-year-old Peter John Moyler is alleged to have set fire to the woman's car in June last year, leaving her with burns to 40% of her body. Mr Moyler appeared in the Perth Magistrates Court today via video link from Hakia Prison when he pleaded not guilty to a charge of causing grievous bodily harm. And the US is still pushing for a two-state solution despite the Israeli Prime Minister rejecting the prospect of establishing a Palestinian state once the conflict in Gaza has ended. Mr Netanyahu says he would stop any attempt to impose a reality on Israel that would harm its security. He also vowed to press on with the offensive until complete victory. I'll be back with some more news at one o'clock. Thank you so much, Tony. Appreciate that. 28 to 1 here on The Country Hour. Uh, still to come, a couple of markets to get through before the news at one. Danny Burkett along to go through the wool market for you. Uh, down a little bit here in the west and at sales in the east this week. Also, the two-day Mount Barker cattle market, the wieners yesterday, the trade sale today. Tracy Kilner has the details on yarding and prices for you shortly. And then also an update for you on the situation um, with the long-running live export class action. Some news just coming through today that the federal government has rejected an offer to settle this particular class action. Uh, The offer was to settle it for $510 million plus costs. 
but the government has said no. An update on that for you shortly. In a moment, off to the Bureau of Meteorology. Twenty-seven to one, and Catherine Shelfout is with you now from the Bureau of Meteorology. Catherine, let's start in the north of the state because it it is going to get quite wet for parts of the east, Kimberley. It's already had some rain, but some more on the way. That's right, Belinda. Good afternoon to you. Um, yes, there's a tropical low that's sitting over the Northern Territory at the moment. So that's been sitting there for quite a few days. Um, yeah, really kind of stalled and just. Um, yeah, slowly, very slowly moving, but it um, it will be tracking west over the Kimberley over the coming few days. Uh, and we also have a trough that's sitting uh, over the North Interior and across the Pilbara. So what we'll see is the uh, tropical low uh, moving west um, from tomorrow and probably start to see some rainfall impacts um, from Sunday evening uh, into Monday. Um, rainfall totals, we're thinking at the moment sort of um, 80 to 150 millimetres a day. Um, isolated values, maybe 200 millimetres or more. Um, still a fair bit of uncertainty with it and um, sort of our main forecast models are varying a little bit as to how far north or south that tracks. Um, so we'll be issuing a flood watch later today, I expect, and uh, keep an eye out as well for severe weather warnings, which would probably start to be issued for that from Sunday. So um, certainly expecting it to some of it at least to fall over the uh, Fitzroy River catchment, um, but not expecting it to be anywhere near as slow moving as um, Cyclone Ellie or the remnants of Cyclone Ellie that caused all the damage uh, last year. Uh, the other thing that's going on up in the north is um, severe heatwave conditions. So just with the trough sitting um, fairly stagnant through the Pilbara there um, and sort of easterly flow, we'll see the temperatures just uh, climbing up. So, I mean, it's always fairly hot this time of year, but um, some of those temperatures in the sort of just inland from Onslow sort of heading up towards that 49, almost 50 degree mark, um, uh, yeah, from tomorrow onwards really for the next few days. So uh, people... Uh, to be careful about, um, yeah, about the hot temperatures there. Catherine, I know there's been a lot of uncertainty about where that tropical low is going to track sort of into next week, but there's a lot of stations, cattle stations, uh, really hoping that it tracks right over the top of them and brings some rain. Can you give us any clarity on where that might track into next week, especially for those sort of uh, further in the west, Kimberley, and then even into, you know, Pilbara, Gascoigne regions, any chance of rain there? Yeah, well, one thing, certainly our tropical cyclone team that have analysed it pretty well, they're certainly going for a very low risk of it becoming a cyclone. So that's one important thing to consider. So um, as I mentioned, so we've got the European model and the Australian model and they're varying a bit. The European model's taking it a bit further north and the Australian one a little bit further south. Um, but fairly certain that it will move uh, west across sort of 
um, central to southern parts uh, of the Kimberley. Looks like it will move um, towards the Pilbara coast and then um, sort of get picked up in the northwesterlies and come back through central parts. Um, but by then we're getting sort of to, um, out into later next week and there is um, yeah, a fair bit of uncertainty as to uh, the timing. For example, the Australian model brings it um, sort of back down through the North Interior as opposed to um, through the Pilbara. So um, I think we'll just have to watch this space in terms of progress from sort of mid next week onwards. Yeah, well, that tropical low, the main feature, and of course, the, the heat conditions, as you've just mentioned. Anything else of importance to mention for northern or eastern areas, Catherine? Um, oh, that really is the main factors for those two. Um, yes, so moving on to the south. Yeah, let's um, take it away in the southwest land division because they've had, it's been, as we've been discussing um, this hour and, you know, for the last couple of days, the storms, the, the thunderstorm, some fires here and there and some big damage from the, the storms, of course, with the power out. What's the story today? That's right, yeah. Well, fortunately for most people, um, conditions have really eased across the Southwest Land Division. Um, I know there's still a lot of people without power and conditions are pretty hot inland. So, yeah, at the moment we've got a weak ridge um, sitting along the south coast and some cooler southwesterlies, um, certainly once you're further back towards the west coast. Uh, tomorrow, Saturday, we'll see that ridge um, persisting there and a fairly broad trough near the west coast, but it will move inland fairly quickly so we won't see those extreme temperatures temperatures uh, near the west coast like we did um, earlier this week or last week was it. Um, clear conditions so no precipitation expected uh, tomorrow. Some fairly strong sea breezes uh, through the central west there and temperatures sort of cooler because of that so in the high 20s to low 30s but once you get in um, to the northern wheat belt and the inland central west we're getting back up to the high 30s uh, and low 40s uh, with the temperatures there so I know some of those parts are still uh, without power. Um, on Sunday we'll see a high moving into the bite and a trough um, deepening um, as we get a new ridge pushing in from the west so temperatures um, so anywhere east of a line around about Morrowa to Cunderdon to Lake Grace, we're sort of up into the above 39 degree temperature mark. Um, and we have a small chance or a small area where we might get a thunderstorm on Sunday. So it's really east of about Southern Cross to Hyden and then across um, maybe to around Coolgardie. So those thunderstorms, if they occur, would be pretty high-based and dry. So um, that's uh, the potential for lightning without any significant rainfall. So um, we'll keep an eye on that. And that is, of course, over the areas where there has been uh, damage to the power lines. Um, on Monday and Tuesday, we see that um, ridge really surging in and the trough moving east again. So once again, um, any thunderstorm activity uh, clearing out of the southwest land division. Uh, a bit cooler um, as the southwesterly winds um, move across the southwest land division on Monday. Uh, and on Tuesday, we go back to that more typical south-southeasterly wind regime. And we will see those winds being quite strong um, through the southeast of the states or the, the Eucla region um, and the central west and western Gascoigne. A little bit of cloud around probably too with the um, southwesterlies coming in. And I'll just mention as well that, as we said before, with the tropical low, because there is a bit of uncertainty as to where that will be um, in the north, that um, affects our confidence with um, forecasting in the south as well. So depending on where that is um, will impact um, winds and thunderstorm areas for the south as well. And then the warnings this afternoon. 
So at the moment we have a severe, uh, sorry, a strong wind warning for the North Kimberley coast, the Ningaloo coast and the Gascoyne coast. Uh, we have a heat wave warning out for parts of the West Pilbara, the Gascoyne, the Northern Goldfields and the interior. And it's likely that we'll be starting to issue flood watches uh, for the East Kimberley uh, from this afternoon. Catherine, thank you so much. Appreciate that. 20 to 1. Let's take a look at the rainfall figures. So I'll look back at the last 24 hours to 9 o'clock this morning and checking 5 mils and over. Starting in northern and eastern forecast districts, and it's all in the Kimberley. Charnley River, 6. Diggers Rest, 10. Emma Gorge, 8. Flora Valley, 25. Halls Creek Airport, 53. Kingston Rest, 7. Kununurra Aero, 12. Kununurra Checkpoint, 16. Lake Argyle Resort, 9. Lansdowne, 25. Marion Downs, 20. Mullabulla Airstrip had 26. Mount Amherst, 61. Mount Barnett, 42. Mount House Airstrip, 16. Mount Winifred, 28. Nicholson, 18. Old Mornington Homestead, 12. Siddons Creek, 18. Wyndham Aero, 5. And Yumbu had 42. And nothing over 5 millimetres in the southwest Land Division. 18 to 1. On the text and in response to the conversation we've had earlier in the hour about the power outages across the wheat belt, uh, this from Ian in Kununurra, just listening to the radio related to the power and communication issues, rely the farmers or emergency services or government departments have satellite phones or HF radio. We live seven kilometres from town and we have a phone repeater and a satellite phone which we use for to ensure communication can be maintained. The government needs to provide services, but the individuals need to be independent as their remoteness increases. Thank you for that. Uh, this from Wajin. Over the last two years, I've received $4,500 from Western Power in claims for outages. Some other outages didn't go for the 12 hours. We have five metre boxes on our farm had two separate outages this week, so two claims are pending at the moment, so that's another $1,000 to come. And this from Bob, maybe we need Brendan, I'm assuming Brendan Grills back. He got our sporting facilities in the bush in places similar to the city. Infrastructure in the bush hasn't kept up, including roads. Thank you for that, Bob. The text, send one through, let me know what you're thinking, 0448 17 to 1. We'll get to those two markets before the news at one, a wrap of the wool market and also a look at the yarding and prices at the Mount Barker cattle market. First though, in some news just in today, the federal government has rejected an offer to settle the long-running live export class action. In 2021, a group of cattle producers, exporters and service providers won a class action in the federal court which found the former Labor government's 2011 decision to ban live exports to Indonesia was unlawful. In the years since, only the lead claimant, the Brett Cattle Company, has received compensation. This morning, the federal government rejected the remaining claimant's offer to settle the case for $510 million plus costs, which would have amounted to $800 million. Bron Christensen is the CEO of the Kimberley Pilbara Cattlemen's Association and she says the industry is incredibly frustrated. On behalf of the, you know, the 215 
people involved and industries involved in the supply chain, of course, we're very disappointed. Um, we obviously have some of our producers and some of our members involved in in that class action. It's been going on. This whole issue has been going on for twelve months, uh, twelve years. It's obviously taken a, a massive toll, uh, both financially and emotionally, on these, you know, on these people involved in it. And um, yeah, to just be sent back to court is very disappointing. What do you make of that figure, five hundred and ten million plus costs? Does that seem like a fair figure to you? At least it does, on the basis that the you know the findings were that. Yeah, the cost to the industry was more than one point two billion dollars. So, when you're talking, um, yeah, the the actual number of people that was that were involved in it, and it's not just graziers or pastoralists; it's also all through the supply chain. So, it's feedlotters, it's it's trucking companies, it's anyone who was involved in the industry at all. Um, yeah, they basically their whole industry came to a standstill. They're average people; they have mortgages, they have payments to make, they've got families to rear. So, you know, there's been. Um, no or minimal compensation since then and so they've had to regroup and and move forward and look there'd be businesses that this is just way too late for uh and there is uh people have been talking about you know other more drastic impacts of it so yeah it's it's just dragging it out a bit more and and it's just got to come it's got to come to conclusion what kind of mood is this news finding the industry in? I'm just thinking, was looking at the Kimberley and the Pilbara, seeing a, a lot of pastoralists begging for rain and, of course, cattle yep. prices where they are. What's this news going to be received like? Oh, at least it hasn't been a good year, I've got to say. You know, there was the floods at the start of the year. There's the live egg shutdown that we had back in August. And now we've got uh, the absolutely no rain that's happening across some areas of the Pilbara and some areas of the Kimberley. So uh, so we've got the dry and, um, you know, doubtful of, of sufficient rain this year to make up for it. So it's really – and reduced cattle prices. So, yeah, it, it's hit hard. It really has hit hard. There's a um, – yeah, it – Pastoralists are, are by all nature an optimistic bunch, but uh, this is just one thing on top of what's really been not a very good 12 months. There's 215 parties involved in the class action. Is this going to cost them more to now go back to court? I'm not sure of the funding arrangements of it, but uh, certainly the emotional toll will be a, a great one. And uh, yeah, and I, and I suppose any time anything goes back to, to court, the um, you know the, the costs just keep escalating. And I suppose that was the the purpose of the counter offer was to do that 510 million plus costs. So you know, there's that 510 million plus costs, and those costs are just going to keep escalating. Unfortunately, what do you think it does? For confidence in the industry at a time where confidence, as you mentioned, is at an all-time low? As I said, I think pastoralists are generally pretty optimistic people, but it's certainly, um, uh, yeah, it's it's a blow. And it's a blow because it's uh, not just what's happening on your own land, but it's support for your industry uh, by the government. And, uh, you know, if you don't have a government that's supporting your industry and is acknowledging, it's been acknowledged that the decision was an incorrect one and it was acknowledged that the impact was extensive on the industry. And now we have a government that, uh, I guess, is sidestepping or saying, what the research, you know, we don't agree with what the research has found for the cost of $1.2 billion and we'll, we'll offer you a nominal amount which really doesn't go close to the compensation for, for the financial and um, the emotional losses long term that have, uh, that have been a result of it.
CEO of the Kimberley Pilbara Cattlemen's Association, Bron Christensen, speaking to Alice Marshall with the news today that the federal government has rejected the remaining claimant's offer to settle that class action case for $510 million plus costs. So the story continues. 12 minutes to one. Uh, We'll get to the market shortly. Just before that, though, Australia's oldest and biggest cotton ginning company is set to be transferred into international hands. In a letter to the ASX today, Namoy Cotton, which FYI is the joint owner of the planned Kununurra cotton gin, has announced that it's entered into a scheme implementation agreement with the Singapore-based Louis Dreyfus Company. Namoy Cotton Chief Executive Tim Watson says there are still a few hurdles to jump, but the sale looks likely to go ahead. So we've signed what's called a, an SIA, or a Scheme Implementation Agreement. In layman's terms, that's a binding contract. So that, that binds both ourselves, Namoy Cotton, and Louis Dreyfus. Uh, to proceed further. What due diligence had to be completed for for this? Louis Dreyfus ran an exhaustive due diligence process and I'd safe to say there's probably not a stone left unturned. And I think that's just a big company being cautious uh, about any acquisition that they make, wherever it may be. So um, the pleasing thing out of it all is it was exactly what we portrayed to them and they after running through uh, Namoy Cotton with a fine tooth comb it was exactly as we'd um, originally told them and exactly what we'd put up to them in the first place and they're more than happy with they're actually really pleasantly surprised with uh, with what they found when they looked under the bonnet. So what's the next step? Does it still need to go to a a vote with the shareholders? Yeah, look, it's quite a process. So the next step is there is a ACCC submission. There's a FERB submission. So the Foreign Investment Review Board, whilst you never know, you can't predict that. We don't expect any uh, major hurdles there, but it'll... That's up to the ACCC and that's up to FERB to um, opine on that. From our side, from the NAMOI side, we've got to get an independent expert. Uh, We then go to the court. If the judge says that they're all happy, he or she will give us the um, go-ahead to proceed to a shareholder meeting. Anticipate that to be in uh, April, May, assuming the shareholders or if they... Um, vote in favour of the deal, which our major share, shareholders, Samuel Terry, Asset Management, have um, have already indicated they're supportive, and so have other major shareholders. That then goes back to the judge. Moving uh, to a slightly different topic, how's the uh, upcoming ginning season looking for you? We're gearing up now. We're full on with maintenance of all the gins, getting them ready. It's all on target to be ready for the, the ginning season. We're, you know, with this recent rain that's been happening from mid-December, some of the dryland cotton, well, all of the cotton that I've seen, I was down at uh, Weewall during the week. It looks unbelievable. Crops that I saw look fantastic. And talking to a few people, they've echoed that. They've got some of the best-looking cotton They've seen for some time, and the dry land, as we know, if you get a hot 
January, it can be pretty tough at this time of the year, but with all the recent rain, it's effectively going like an irrigated crop. So if that rain continues on for another month, uh, look out for the dryland cotton. That'll be huge. Could you tell us a little bit about the uh, the new gin um, that's been constructed at Kununurra? Uh, what's what's your role in it, and and where is it up to? Namoy is a um, we're a joint uh, shareholder in the uh, Kimberley Cotton Company (KCC), and we're also uh, the project manager. So we we're supplying the project manager, who's a, uh, an Amoy employee, which we're contracting out to KCC. So we're our guys running the project. Our key goal was to get the foundations done prior to the wet season, and that's happened. The concrete, uh, so all the shed, the footings, effectively, and the main part of the below ground concrete work, and they've, they're a fair way ahead with the above ground concrete concrete work. So. Nothing's happening there at the moment. Uh, we're anticipating early March to kick off again. Namoy Cotton Chief Executive Tim Watson speaking to Brandon Long. Seven minutes to one. Let's get into the markets now. And starting at Mount Barker with the results of the Wiener sale yesterday and the store sale today. Tracy Kilner, let's start with the Wieners. How are the numbers? Numbers were up with a total yarding of 1,902 mixed quality cattle. Steers trended up on all categories with the heavyweights gaining 16 cents, selling to a top of 282 cents. Mediumweight steers fluctuated throughout the sale, topping at 306 cents. The heifer, section, the heifer section fluctuated with quality and demand, remaining firm to down on the mediumweight categories. Wiener steers weighing over 380 kilos returned 226 to 282 cents. Steers weighing between 330 and 380 kilos sold from 240 to 282 cents. The lighter weight steers, 280 to 330 kilos, made from 250 to 306 cents. And weights under 280 kilos returned 240 to 270 cents a kilo. The Wiener heifers weighing over 380 kilos made from 198 to 202 cents. Weights from 330 to 380 kilos made 170 to 212 cents. Lighter weights between 280 and 330 kilos sold from 118 to 222 cents. And weights under 280 kilos returned 130 to 232 cents. The trade sale today. Numbers were up. All categories trended up with demand. Grown steers sold to 226 cents and heifers up to 200 cents a kilo. The heavy cows gained 30 cents, while competition from processors and feeders pushed store cows up as well. A large yarding of heavy bulls were in demand, selling to 172 cents a kilo. Grown steers weighing 500 to 600 kilos made 194 to 226 cents. The lighter weights returned 180 to 218 cents a kilo. Grown heifers weighing under 540 kilos sold from 150 to 196 cents. And the heavier weight heifers made 168 to 200 cents a kilo. Heavy cows sold from 140 to 172 cents. Medium weights from 144 to 160 cents. Store cows sold processors for 80 cents to 150 cents. And the feeder buyers paid from 100 to 156 cents a kilo. Heavy bulls gained, returning 120 to 172 cents a kilo. PTIC mixed aged cows sold by appraisal from 950 to 1050, second carvers from 650 to 825, and heifers from 875 to $900 a head. This has been Tracy Kilner for Meat and Livestock Australia's National Livestock Reporting Service. 
Tracy, thank you very much for that. And just a note that there's no Mount Barker sale next week due to the Australia Day holiday. Four minutes to one and a big wool offering at sales this week put quite a bit of pressure on prices. The Eastern Market Indicator closed down 17 cents to 1,196 cents a kilogram clean and the Western Market Indicator finished down 8 cents to 1,317 cents a kilo clean. Danny Burkett, what do you make of this week's market? Well, if you look at the Eastern Market Indicator and the Western Indicator, they both have fallen for the second week in a row. But just to quote AWEX, it's the largest starting fortnight to a calendar year in four years. So we had over 100,000 bars offered in the last fortnight, and that volume will always test the market. In Fremantle, 17 micron remained fully firm to close at 1840. 18 microns were only off five, closing at 16.05. 19 microns at 20 microns at 21, all fell 15 clean for the week. 14.45 on the close for 19s, 20s at 13.45, 21s at 13.25. If we look back at this over a 10 year average using a decile chart, 17 micron has spent 58% of its time above today's price. 18 micron has spent 62%. 19s and 20s have spent 67% of their time above today's price. 21s, 60% above today's price. Pieces and bellies on the finer end, 10 dira on the mediums to broad, fully firm. Another interesting point, price differentials between fleece and pieces on 19 micron are only 65 cents. I did say last week when it was sitting just below a dollar that that won't last. I'll say it again, that will not last. Historically, that is very low. Oddments. Locks, stones, crutching slightly dearer over the two days. The good news was the lambs market for the first time in four months. We've seen the shorter lambs, the 30 mil lambs, actually lift quite significantly this week. So anybody had some shorter lambs in the market this week, played very well with that end of the market. $62 million worth of wool cleared for the week. And another interesting point, if we look back at this time last year, we have sold over 105,000 bales more than the corresponding period the year before, and 55,000 bales of that is merino combing wool. So we are slowly eking our way through the stocks being held in Australia at the moment. And as far as the buyers go, Danny, was there much change in the order of the Chinese buyers this week? That's about all that changed. TNU, Tech Wool, Morris and Endeavour filled the top four spots. And looking back at this period last year, if we look at sale, 29 this time last year, the exact same four buyers in the top four. So China, China, China and China. Again, just mentioning Tech Wool, they were second largest buyer in the crossbreds, third largest buyer in the oddments and second largest buyer in the skirtings across the country. So Tech Wool again. Um, charging the market as they always do. And as you were saying earlier, um, some big offerings last week and this week. What's in store for next week? What we're looking at next week is just shy of 42,000 bars, and that's a significant fall from what we've seen the previous fortnight. Um, my personal call is I think that will only help the market if we see the same amount of interest, the same amount of demand come to the market, Sydney, Melbourne, Fremantle, then I think um, that will bode very well with the market with just, up, with just over 40. 41,000 on the market. So hopefully that comes to fruition next week. Thank you, Danny. I'm going to take a couple of days off. I'll talk to you on Monday. The one o'clock news is next. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.